Burton. Today we're getting into postseason six sports. Uh, softball going to the World Series, baseball going to Charlottesville. Uh, we'll dive into both of those and matchups, what to expect, what our predictions are. Uh, but before we do that, Tyler, how are you doing? Tell us, what are you wearing? What's on your shirt? Uh, just had to had to kind of throw it back from a couple of years ago, Adam. I've got the Patty Gasso uh, Goat T-shirt on right now. It's fitting. It's that time of year. Women's College World Series time. Oklahoma number number one overall seed. Forty eight game winning streak. Division one record. No big deal. We just keep it rolling here down in Norman at Marita Hines Field. So yeah, Adam, things are going great. Stick ball time. Uh, excited to have a, a, a full podcast where it's nothing but uh, diamond sports. So both teams are in the postseason play. Uh, one team obviously looking to cap off what's been a magical season with another national championship, and the other one finding a way to sneak into the postseason play. Uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk Skip Johnson's crew. We'll talk Pete Hughes's. Uh, maybe necessary for a therapy session. A few. We'll dive into that here just a little bit. But yeah, man, things are good. Couldn't be. Uh, couldn't be happier and excited to get this thing going this upcoming weekend. And it starts on Thursday. Yeah, if you're listening on podcast. Check us out on YouTube. See the shirt that Tyler's wearing. I think it's, it's pretty sweet. So let's dive into a little bit of softball. We'll talk briefly, I think, on the matchup against Clemson. I know that's a few days removed at this point, but something pretty special happened in that final game, what we think will be the final game at Marita Hines Field. We had some Sooner Magic with Kenzie Hansen again, a second time this year that she's had that uh, seventh inning comeback, in this case, tied the game. So it didn't quite give OU the lead, but mm-hmm. it kind of felt like when she hit that three-run home run, things were done. And uh, it was kind of, I don't know how to describe it. It's hard to put words around like, hey, you're going for the record streak there, the 48 wins in a row. You're down three runs. You just feel like, man, Clemson kind of has their number. They put up some some solid runs on offense throughout that day. And then, uh, but you just, you know, you keep keep staying in it. You have one strike left and then uh, Kenzie Hansen goes off. And at that point, it was it was all, all of you from there. I guess, Tyler, what kind of thoughts do you have around this particular moment? And I guess the bigger question I kind of had around that was, does this surpass other Sooner Magic moments, at least of our lifetime? We've been uh, fans of OU football since around 2000 or so, and we've seen some good moments in football. But <laughs> does this softball moment surpass pretty much all of those? Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely up there. Um, I think that when you just kind of focus on our lifetime, you know, as, as OU fans, Adam, you know, going all the way back to the, you know, late 90s, which there's not too much to talk about there, but going as far back as the 2000 National Championship season, you know, for OU Athletics, all the way up until, you know, right here in 2023, obviously some of the ones that come to mind when you talk Sooner Magic, 2014 Sugar Bowl win, Trevor Knight over Alabama, that's obviously towards the top of the list. OU Tennessee and Knoxville, the Baker Mayfield freshman game, kind of his coming out party Oklahoma figuring out a way to you know basically after three quarters of having no success at all finding a way to get that game into overtime and then double overtime and then triple overtime figuring out a way to win it in Knoxville Caleb Williams against Texas that's always going to be one up there for me probably one of the best you know OU sporting events I've ever been to uh you know men's basketball the final four run that they had with Buddy baseball coming off of a magical run to to Omaha you know two victories away from winning a national championship a year ago but you know Adam I think that this is one because of all the different factors because of all the different things that were in play for this moment this one's got to be up near the top if not the number one spot the moment had everything the final game at Marita Hines Field you've got a trip to the Women's College World Series on the line a chance to win your 48th straight game and set the record for the longest win streak in Division One history you start the game off strong, back-to-back home runs by Tiare Jennings and Jada Coleman, jump out to a 4 nothing lead, and then, okay, a little bit of diversity hits. 
uh, Clemson scores seven straight runs. They take a you know a three run lead into the sixth inning. You're down three runs in the seventh. Two on, uh, two outs. O two count facing the front runner for National Player of the Year in Valerie Cagle. And Kenzie Hansen does what Kenzie Hansen does, delivers time and time again, three-run home run, ties the game up. And, you know, Adam, we were talking in the group chat uh, when OU went down three. We were kind of asking ourselves, and we kind of posed this question to Corbin, what do you do in the pitching circle with OU down three? Uh, you know, do you stick with Kirsten Deal, who had a little bit of a shaky start? You know, it's amped up, super regional game. She settled down in a nice way. Do you stick with Kirsten Deal? Do you throw Jordy out there? Uh, do you go back to Nicole May? And I said, you know, if Oklahoma can find a way to tie this thing up or at least get in, you know, uh, take the lead going into the sixth or seventh, seventh inning, uh, I think you put 98 in the circle, no questions asked. And when Oklahoma tied that thing up, Adam, off the bat of Kenzie Hansen, Jordy Ball entered the circle. And, you know, I think that she elevated her game and, and attitude to a level that I'm not sure that we've seen from Jordy Ball, you know, in her, you know, a uh, c- couple of seasons in an Oklahoma uniform. So she had that look in her eye. She was focused. She was determined. And everybody knew that Jordy wasn't going to surrender anything. She strikes out Cagle. Tiara Drennings uh, fast forward to the ninth inning. She hits the game winning home run to send Oklahoma back to the Women's College World Series. I mean, you just it, it was almost like a like a storybook type of ending, you know, having Marita Hines, on, you know, on the field, the the crowd that was in the stadium, you know, the other thousand plus fans that were outside the left field in Home Run Village. You couldn't have drawn it up any better. And it was just a fantastic way uh, to close out the Super Regional and what was going to be the final chapter uh, of the, you know, historic 25 years at Marita Hines Field. You were on a roll there, so I didn't want to interrupt you, but I got to give you, you a, a little bit of uh, a little bit of flack there for your Michael Scott moment, where you said a little bit of diversity hit OU, when I think you meant adversity. Adversity, uh, because, yeah, look, <laughs> because because adversity it. definitely hit OU on Saturday, <laughs> and yeah, if you look at it from you know the collection of Sooner Magic moments that we've had, I don't know that you've ever had one where it's the final moments, like it wasn't necessarily an elimination game for OU or, or anything like that, but the stakes of, okay, this was the final seconds of the game. The, you know, the stakes were high. This was a super regional and postseason play. If you look back at moments in football, like 2013 Bedlam, 2019 Baylor, uh, those were, you know, great regular season games that OU totally, made some yeah. good, good comebacks with, but the stakes were higher for this game. And uh, mm-hmm. so uh, you, know, you had some, some winning streaks on the line. You had a potential berth into the world series on the line. So I still want to let it kind of settle. It's still fresh. I don't want to crown it the number one moment of my lifetime, but man, it's got to be up there top top three or four uh, for sure in consideration there. So that moves OU into the College World Series where we all expected them to end up. Uh, nothing's mm-hmm. changed yet. OU still hasn't lost, but now the, the competition gets even tougher uh, starting off with Stanford this Thursday, mm-hmm. uh, Thursday afternoon. So kind of right in the middle of the work. They hope everyone's able to, to get some time away to watch <laughs> that or at least listen in to Chris Plank. But uh, Tyler, what should OU fans know about Stanford, um, a team that OU's already played, but what should OU fans know about what Stanford brings to the table here? Yeah, uh, have definitely had a chance to, you know, kind of take a peek behind the curtain at what Stanford has been, you know, as a softball team so far this year, 45 and 13 overall in the season, 14 and 10 in the Pac-12. They finished uh, in a tie for fourth in the Pac-12 standings. You know, so not the not the greatest regular season, but they're kind of peaking at the right time, playing their best softball of the year. Uh, head coach Jessica Alster is, you know, in her sixth season up at Palo Alto. Uh, This is the third World Series appearance for this program, the first since 2004. So nice to have Stanford, you know, coming back to Oklahoma City first time in a while. 
And you just kind of go down the schedule and look at this, Adam. Two wins on the road at number 13, Georgia. Took two out of three on the road in Eugene against the Oregon Ducks, a super regional team that, you know, ultimately did get swept by Oklahoma State this past weekend. But, uh, you know, Stanford, they got swept by UCLA, but all three contests were somewhat close competitive games. So can't really hang your hat on anything there. But they did get swept on the road at Utah, another Women's College World Series team. Lost two out of three at number nine, Washington another team that'll be making an appearance in in Oklahoma City this weekend. But like I said, they're peaking at the right time. They're playing their best softball. They've won four in a row. Uh, They defeated Florida in back-to-back games in the regional, outscoring the Gators 19-2. And they just are coming off of a uh, back-to-back series win in the Super Regionals. On the road, I might add, uh, in Durham, North Carolina, against the Blue Devils of Duke uh, in two uh, pretty competitive games, three to one and seven to two victories uh, for the Cardinals. So they're hot right now, Adam. And you can't you can't go without saying Oklahoma actually played Stanford earlier in the season as well. Uh, February tenth, run rule win fashion for Oklahoma, ten to one in this in the circle. Uh, you know, it was Alex Draco. She made her debut in an Oklahoma uniform. She threw five and two thirds innings, allowing just one run on three hits. Uh, and a walk to go with six strikeouts. So Oklahoma is familiar with this team. Um, you go back and, like I said, Oklahoma, you know, putting up 10 runs against the Cardinal. Uh, Haley Lee, two for four. Tiari Jennings, three for three. Alyssa Brito had a three RBI double as well. So um, th- the only thing that I th- that I think is going to give Oklahoma fans a little reason to be uh, concerned a little bit Stanford's two best pitchers that we're going to see this upcoming Thursday, and we all know that uh, we all expect that we're going to see Najari Kennedy. Uh, Oklahoma didn't face either of the top two pitchers when they faced Stanford earlier this season, so it's going to be a little bit of a new challenge. Oklahoma hasn't seen either one of those two arms, but I, I think that it is going to be – if and again, we say this time and time again, if Oklahoma, if they trot Jordy out there on Thursday and Jordy's on her game, if this lineup is firing on all cylinders – I hate to say it, Stanford doesn't have the firepower offensively, and we can go over their lineup here in just a little bit. Stanford doesn't have the firepower offensively to keep up with Oklahoma for a full seven innings. So it's going to be a nice test, and I'm very excited to see what Oklahoma's going to do on on, uh, Thursday. The potential second matchup that you could see on Saturday would be OU Mm -hmm. versus Tennessee, potentially, and a lot of people think they are probably OU's biggest challenge Mm -hmm. in this tournament. Yeah. Do you really expect OU to to throw Jordy on Thursday and then go with a Starocco or May in a potential Tennessee matchup? Well, I definitely think that, you know, when you've got the pitching staff, obviously Nicole May has been, you know, extremely consistent all year. She got a little bit ba- she got a little bit banged up, um, you know, going against Clemson this this previous game on Saturday. Starocco was a little bit hit and miss, but you know what? Sometimes that's what happens. That's softball. Margin for error is getting a lot smaller as you know the cream rises to the top. You've got the the elite eight teams in college softball making their way uh, to Oklahoma City. So I do think that the flexibility, Patty's going to have a pretty pretty tough decision to make because obviously you want to go out there and you want to get that first win. You don't you don't want to repeat what happened a year ago where Oklahoma you know got off to a slow start. They lost the opening game to James Madison forced them their way down into the loser's bracket, and then they had to kind of claw their way back up to the championship series. So I, I do think when you look at the Stanford lineup now, obviously, um, you know, leadoff hitter, uh, you know, River Mailer hitting 367 on the year. Right behind her, you've got the center fielder, you know, all-name team uh, in Taylor Gindelsperger. She's hitting 340 on the year. And, you know, Adam, I talked about Patty having some flexibility. You can throw multiple uh, arms at this lineup because – I don't know if they do have the firepower offensively. Uh, Stanford's best hitter, their most you know consistent power hitter, is their catcher, Ali Kaneshiro. 
She leads the team with seven home runs and 40 RBIs. I'd say that there's at least six, maybe seven, if not more Oklahoma players that have more hits and have more home runs and RBIs uh, than Stanford's leading hitter. So again, it's going to be one of those instances where if you feel comfortable with Starocco and May, you throw those out there because like we've talked about, Adam, I still think that Tennessee, I, I think that Tennessee is the biggest threat to Oklahoma this upcoming weekend. And I hate to say it as well, but Oklahoma State's kind of finding themselves again. They're kind of finding their way, uh, you know, back to when they were, you know, uh, playing their best brand of softball early in the season. Uh, they just swept uh, Oregon in the regional in Stillwater this, you know, this past weekend. So I think that the two teams in Orange, I think Tennessee and Oklahoma State, that's going to be your two uh, toughest competition uh, for Patty Gasso. Uh, so, yeah, if I'm Oklahoma I think I start out with Starocco on Saturday. See if you can get that win, and then that sets yourself up to where you can throw Jordy Ball against uh, against uh, potentially a Tennessee uh, in that matchup on Saturday. Because if you start out two and zero, Adam, then that gives you another rest day that really sets yourself up to where you just have to win one more game to advance to the uh, championship series. So if I'm Patty, I'm going Starocco on Thursday, and you're saving Jordy Ball uh, for you know potentially uh, that that uh, one versus one. Uh, matchup uh, on Friday. We did take that question to Twitter of who the biggest threat to OU was in the World Series here. And a lot of people mm-hmm. said Stanford simply because that's who OU matches up with first. Yeah, I get past that team first. Uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people said Florida State, they may have the best pitcher in the tournament and Kat Sandercock. Uh, a lot of people said OSU. There's Whoa. Like you mentioned. Whoa. OSU? You think you disagree? You think that the best pitcher in the Women's College World Series is uh, is 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 not Jordy Ball? I mean, I know that Sandercock did just throw a perfect game in the regional, but I mean, let, let's, yeah, I mean, let's it, it, with... it's difference of opinion. I think um, with Jordy Ball, I don't think it's like a clear cut. She's the number one. I think she she is the number one when she's at the peak of her game. Uh, but that's fair. That's fair. But sometimes, but sometimes she's she doesn't have it, um, and that's okay. <laughs> Lots of pitchers mm-hmm. don't always have it. Like Nicole May, um, you know, towards the tail end of Saturday, didn't have it. Um, so that, that happens. Um, but yeah, I think Jordy ball, and especially once we see the next two years of her career unfold, I think she'll start to get that consistency and obviously she's already Mm -hmm. legend now, but she will certainly submit herself there. Um, so I don't know, there's arguable, you know, that Kat Sandercock might be the best pitcher on the field, um, in Oklahoma city. So it's possible. I think a lot of people like that. Um, I think a lot of people like what OSU is doing. They, they really Mm -hmm. didn't play close game against Oregon. Um, and after, losing something like 11 of 13 game goals going into the tournament. And they seem to have kind of found their rhythm a little bit. Now, Kelly Maxwell struggled against OU, uh, the, the times that she was on the mound, but uh, they've got some other pitchers there that they gave us trouble. Um, their lineup was giving OU trouble. So there's definitely some teams here that you know could certainly threaten OU, but I'm going to have to agree with you on this one. Tennessee, I think is the biggest threat. Maybe it's a little bit of the unknown factor because they're one of the few teams in this field here that OU hasn't played yet. Um, but mm-hmm. Tennessee made, made easy work of, te- of Texas over the weekend. I know that yeah. was one that you, you thought, hey, Texas is going to upset them. Turned out to not be all that I close. did. I thought it was going to be competitive, it, and it really wasn't. Yeah, and so it's interesting that you have OU and Tennessee in the, in the top half of the bracket, meaning that one of those teams is going to have to work their way out of the loser's bracket if you want to rematch in the championship series because um, mm-hmm. you do recall that, hey – the uh, the loser of one of those games on Saturday is going to flip over into the bottom side of the bracket. Uh, so there's going to be some mixing up. So you could still see an OU Tennessee uh, final series there. And, you know, Adam, speaking of dominant elite pitchers uh, that are part of this tournament, I don't want to, I don't want it to go unsaid. And, you know, Oklahoma fans are better be, 
you know, better be in for a, you know, really good performance from what Stanford's going to throw out there on the mound on Thursday. So, well, like I alluded to, the best two pitchers on Stanford's roster, Oklahoma didn't face them, you know, earlier in the season during that February 10th matchup. And when you when you look statistically at what Stanford's pitching staff is able to do, it's one of the best in the country, uh, fourth in the ERA in 1.55, 10th in shutouts. Uh, and they're also a very well-coached, very solid defensive team as well with a 978 fielding percentage so uh, I fully expect the Cardinal uh, to trot out number 24 she's a six foot tall big girl powerful arm uh, number 24 Najari Kennedy 16 and one on the season 29 appearances 22 starts and the Adam outside of the 0.48 ERA the thing that sticks out to me the most is the way that this girl is able to command the softball 193 strikeouts to just 19 walks on the year. So she throws strikes, she gets ahead of batters. She's able to put, you know, these hitters in a difficult situation where she's kind of puts them in a situation where she forces them to guess what she's going to be throwing. So she threw five, five shutout innings against UCLA last four appearances in the circle uh, for 24. She's thrown 17 in the third innings, given up one run on just seven hits. And that was in two wins over Florida, two wins over Duke to help get them to the women's college world series in Oklahoma city. But yeah, um, I think that Oklahoma, it is going to be a bigger test than what I think some people are given, uh, you know, Stanford credit for. Uh, I fully expect them to, to come in and compete with Oklahoma, at least at the jump. And then we'll see how that depth and talent plays out over the course of a seven inning game. But you make a really good point, Adam. For me, it's the two teams in orange, Tennessee and Oklahoma State. I think that it's probably a safe bet. Oklahoma is going to get Tennessee in that second game on Friday. I think Tennessee starts off with Alabama uh, and you know Montana Fouts. Is she going to start? How much of an impact is she going to have? ESPN is pushing the hell out of that narrative right now. Which, again, fair play to her. How she's pitching two or three weeks off of a hyperextended leg, fair play to her. Uh, but yeah, I fully expect the two teams in Orange to give Oklahoma their toughest uh, toughest test, and um, it's just a matter of Adam if uh, if Oklahoma if they're going to take a take a loss in a series type format, or if maybe it's uh, it's going to be a bigger challenge for Oklahoma in kind of the round robin format. Um, what do you think? Is it going to be easier to beat this OU team in a series format, or maybe the round robin is going to be these uh, these teams' best chance to get them? I think the round robin is the best chance to get OU because I agree. you're going to see different pitchers, different styles of teams, different coaching methods day to day, other than maybe like an if necessary game where you might mm-hmm. play the same team back to back. But otherwise, OU's got to prepare for Stanford, you know, one day and then they win that game two days later, they got to play Tennessee. Um, or if they lose to Stanford, then they got to turn around and, and play somebody the next day. So I think, I think it's actually going to be easier to get OU in this round robin format because one, you have the best of the best teams here in Oklahoma city, but also, mm-hmm. um, you know, they're, you know, they're going to have to see different pitchers. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons that OU was so dominant throughout the season and throughout any series that they played is that the other team basically is going to run out of pitching depth for the most part compared to what OU has. So, oh, you can get used to the one pitcher they have, figure her out and then, you know, annihilate them at a certain point. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think the round robin is going to be easier. Would are you kind of on the same page with that or, or maybe do you have a different viewpoint? Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you on that. I think that the round-robin format, definitely, that's your best chance if you're an opposing team of trying to knock Oklahoma out of this tournament because, like we said, if Oklahoma can figure out a way to get to the championship series where you're going to be forced to beat them two games out of three, Oklahoma's pitching staff is so dominant, it is so deep from top to bottom, and they're so versatile with some of the different ways that they can attack opposing teams' lineups. So, again, in a, in a best two-out-of-three format, we've talked about it all year, 
I just simply don't see another team that can beat this team two games out of three. You might get lucky and get them once. You might throw your ace. You might catch Oklahoma on an off day. But they're going to figure you out eventually, and they're going to be able to start you know, churning out runs. So, again, I think round robin, you throw your best out there if you're Stanford, see if you can pick them off, and then see if another team can kind of come in right behind it uh, and put the final dagger in. But I just uh, I don't expect it. I think the Oklahoma's too good, they're too well coached, and they're too experienced in this type of environment. And I think that that's going to pl- that's going to go a long way in ultimately deciding the outcome of this World Series. Well, let's do some predictions here. You know, it sounds like you're saying OU's not going to lose at all in Oklahoma City. Um, it, are you picking them to win the entire thing undefeated? Yeah, I think so. Um, again, that's so tough because you've got the best eight teams right now in softball. And, and again, in this type of format, the, the, you can't predict it. I mean, it's hard to predict. Anything can happen in this type of scenario. But again, I think that it starts on Thursday. I think Oklahoma takes care of business on Saturday. I expect Tennessee to knock off Alabama in their opener on Thursday as well. So I think you're going to have OU Tennessee, and the winner of that game is really in the driver's seat in that half of the bracket. And you look downstairs, honestly, Florida State, OSU, Washington, and Utah, I think that the winner of Florida State, Oklahoma State, puts themselves in a great position uh, to, to get to the championship series. It would not surprise me at all if Kelly Maxwell, if the Oklahoma State Cowgirls, if they can continue to ride the momentum that they've kind of uh, you know, found over the last couple of weeks in postseason play, if they can figure out a way to knock off the Seminoles, I think that you could seriously, Adam, you're start, starting to make the case that when that championship series starts on Wednesday, June 7th, I think you've got Bedlam for the national title. So that's your pick is Bedlam. Hmm? I'm going Bedlam for the national title. Back-to-back years where it's going to be uh, two Big 12 teams fighting it out for the national championship. And again, we, we talk about it. The best softball is played in the state of Oklahoma. Having Bedlam, those two teams separated by 70 or 80 miles on the national stage with the national championship on the line, uh, it's going to be fantastic for the state. It's going to be fantastic for the brand and fantastic for to, for softball as a whole. So I can't wait to see how it unfolds. That's uh, that's bold um, because we've thought about Bedlam in the final series for a couple of years now because Oklahoma State's uh, finally been making the World Series and just hasn't well, happened yet. But yeah, you're right. This is Oklahoma State's uh, strongest team, so we can certainly see choke. that. <laughs> yeah, poke choke. I'm I'm going to pick OU to make it to the championship series. I don't think I will pick OU to go undefeated to get there nece- or uh, throughout the entire series. I think tennis. I think Tennessee is a formidable opponent. I think Florida State's a pretty mm-hmm. formidable opponent. And OSU, like you mentioned, uh, surging really strongly right now. You do have to remember that OU is currently undefeated against five of the seven teams that they've played uh, in the World Series. So it's not astronomical to think that they would just go through completely unscathed here. But I think with the round-robin format, with uh, with this quality of teams that are here, and what we saw from OU just nearly losing to Clemson at home, I think mm-hmm. OU is probably due for a loss at this point. Um, you would just like to see that happen probably in the championship series and not before that, because like you mentioned, it's going to be really tough to work your way out of a loser bracket scenario there. Mm -hmm. And so I would like to say that I think the second best team here is Tennessee and that's who OU is going to rematch with in the championship series. But for the reason of, Hey, they're going to have to flip sides of the bracket as a loser, at least at at some point, potentially, uh, I think it's going to be really tough for them to get there at the end of the day. So I'm going to go with OU versus Florida State in the championship series. And, of course, I'm, I'm picking mm-hmm. OU to, to win it all at the end of the day. 
you know, we've, we talked about it this time a year ago. Um, the format of the play in the women's college world series has kind of changed coming into this, this upcoming weekend, you know, uh, th- this time a year ago, Oklahoma, you know, ultimately lost the, uh, lost the opening game to Odyssey, Alexander, James Madison. And that kind of put Oklahoma in a situation where they were having to play. I, I think it was what four games in three days, uh, to kind of fight their way back to the, uh, the championship series. But now you've kind of had a little bit of a change. There's a lot more rest time. There's a lot more downtime. If Oklahoma can win on Thursday, they don't play again until Saturday afternoon. You win that game. You don't play again until the following Monday. So that really sets things up well, even better for Oklahoma's pitching staff. And again, kind of vice versa too. As long as you keep winning and the other teams that keep winning, you know, Tennessee could be in a situation where they're going to throw their ace on Thursday against Alabama. And then knowing in their back pocket, they've also got another day and a half of rest in between games. They could throw their ace again uh, to try to get a 2-0 lead or a, a two, uh, two wins in this uh, women's college world series. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this thing shakes out, but I, I like Oklahoma's position here. Obviously you take care of business against Stanford and then you go into what I think is probably going to be Oklahoma's toughest test if Tennessee can get by Alabama, OU versus Tennessee. Um, I think that that's probably a matchup of the two best teams remaining in this tournament, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Can't wait for Thursday to get here. Are you going? I can't wait. Uh, I I think I will go at some point. I don't know which game yet. Probably not this upcoming weekend. I'll probably wait and see. Um, I would really like to see a, a Bedlam World Series final. Oh, Maybe yes. the ticket prices will be astronomical for that one, but uh, that would be mm-hmm. pretty awesome. So I'll, I'll make it to one of them, I, I, I do believe, at some point. Cool. Um, so I am excited for Thursday. I'm also really excited for Friday, 6 mm-hmm. p.m., Friday night, ESPN2, OU in Charlottesville in baseball, facing off against ECU, the Pirates. Uh, from my home state, I grew up in the Raleigh area, so I know a lot of ECU fans, so Uh, This should be a pretty fun matchup, and OU makes it in the tournament. We were all kind of holding our breath uh, Monday, waiting to see if OU was going to be one of those teams called. They had the strongest RPI out of most of the bubble teams out there, so I ended up winning the day for them and I think really uh, pissed off a lot of K-State fans and supporters uh, in the process. Yeah, do we want to touch on that a little bit before we kind of do a few tidbits on these other three teams in Oklahoma's regional? Do we want to talk about the yeah. teams? Yeah, so I, I get the argument. You know, you look at the the two resumes of OU versus Kansas State, because this is kind of where it came down to. Um, you know, a lot of K-State fans said, hey, we swept OU 0-3. We had the better conference record. We uh, did better in the conference tournament. Uh, but OU overall, at the end of the day, had the stronger R- RPI, played the better strength of schedule. And Pete Hughes, the former OU coach, uh, you know, made a statement today. It was kind of funny at something that uh, just sounded really bitter, basically him complaining about how the RPI was used. And he, he made a statement on Saturday, even before the field was announced when K-State lost in the Big 12 tournament that, hey, you know, uh, maybe the RPI shouldn't be as heavily weighted or maybe you should drop the lowest five RPI games that you have just because, oh, poor K-State can't schedule as many good teams in the midweek. Well, in the non-conference, K-State scheduled St. Thomas, who was 292, UC Riverside, who was 265, uh, Southeast Missouri, 215, Youngstown State, 255, Stonehill, Massachusetts. <laughs> like, these are teams no one's heard of. 289, Stephen F. Austin, 212. Oh, like, man. Adam, like not, Adam brought the receipts. <laughs> these are not midweek series, all of them. Uh, some of them are weekend series. So it's like you could have scheduled someone much tougher for a weekend series. Or UC Riverside, that was done on a road trip in California. Find a different team with a higher RPI that you could have been playing there. 
I mean, just across the board, like just play a tougher schedule. And it's not like this was sprung on K-State at the last minute. And I know people will say, oh, well, you know, the difference between 39 in RPI and like 55 in RPI is not that big of a deal. Well, that, fair enough, but that we know what the parameters are. We know what the committee looks at. This was the same thing last year. This is why some teams were left out and some teams got in. Uh, Ole Miss, one of the last teams in. I think OU uh, this year was second to last team in. So it, it's it's not like there was some new rule was uh, put into place the day before the selection happened. We knew this was coming down the pipeline and K-State scheduled one way and OU scheduled a different way. Now, very well may well, be that K-State is the better team, but these were the rules mm-hmm. and we all knew about them before the season started. Well, Adam, what happened to Kansas State the, over the last 24 hours? Is this not the exact same thing that happened to Oklahoma a few years ago? Wasn't it like 2015 or something where Oklahoma had some head-to-head wins over one of the last four teams in, but the RPI kind of screwed them? And so vice versa, it kind of happens to Kansas State. You know, I, I totally get the head-to-head matchup. And again, when Pete Hughes was our coach. By the when, way. when Pete Hughes was our <laughs> coach, and I got to throw that in there. I get the head-to-head talk, but also at the same time, too, you, you're judged on the totality of your schedule. And so if you're going to pad your resume, you know, if you're going to hang your hat on, oh, we won 30-plus games, but you go down the list, and we tweeted it out earlier. Uh, I'll encourage everybody to follow us at the Mainline Pod. You tweeted it out earlier. When you're padding your your uh, your winning percentage when you're stacking wins by facing bottom feeder teams, some of them are which not even power five or even group of five type of teams. Then I have no sympathy for you whatsoever. You know, if if you if you want to leave it up to the committee, then you better go out there and schedule some quality opponents, regardless of if you win those games or or lose them. At least put yourself in a position where you're showing the committee committee, hey, we're playing quality teams in the in conference play, but also in the non-con as well. And we're not we're not scheduling these podunk teams from North Dakota or South Dakota, or we've got our head coach on national television bitching about the fact that you know nobody wants to come play us. Get out of here with that. You're a byproduct of what your schedule is. If you if you have a problem with how the selection committee selects these teams and the the emphasis and the value that they put on RPI go out there and schedule some tougher opponents. Yeah. And you know, I know Johnny baseball, our, our friend of the pod, he'll say, well, this is karma going way back to that Friday night series. When OU went up to Manhattan, played a Friday night game, it was pouring down rain and they really just kept the game going because they were hitting at that point. And so you yeah. had to pitch in the pouring rain really was the only team that had to do that. Um, that was the difference in the game. Five runs were given up in that, that one inning where it was just absolutely pouring rain. It was impossible to field. It was really difficult to, uh, to pitch at that point. And so that ended up being the difference in the overall game. And uh, mm-hmm. so, yeah, it's, it is karma a little bit there, but OU's in K state's not, uh, OU's got a tough draw here. They've got ECU, a team that a lot of people thought might be hosting. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about ECU in a second. Let's talk a little bit about the other teams that OU could potentially face because you've got a, a, a top seed there in, in Virginia, a team that maybe isn't known as much for hitting the long ball, they, but they do have great batting average. Uh, they've got great ERA as a team. So um, they actually lead the country in batting average. So they're going to be a tough mm-hmm. opponent if OU does have to end up facing up against them. Uh, top 10 in ERA as well. So they're a really well-rounded team. Pretty much any team that's going to be a top seed is going to be like that. So oh, he's got their workout cut, uh, cut out for them if they do, in face, uh, do indeed face the Wahoos there. Uh, and then Army. A lot of people really like Army as the four seed here. Some people even said, I think, uh, that they could potentially be a sleeper for a super regional. I think Army's, they've got great stats. Like, um, And they're a team that made a little bit of noise last year in the, in the uh, regionals. But I don't know. It's so much harder to measure them because 
they don't play in a great league. Um, they don't play a lot of great mm -hmm. opponents. Some of that's just based on the conference that they're in, based on um, you know probably the restrictions of a, being a military school. Um, but you know, I, the best non-conference opponent they faced was K State, and they lost both of those. So yeah, all goes back to, to Manhattan there. So I don't know what to think about about Army necessarily. <clears throat> Um, mm -hmm. But then you've got ECU, a team that, again, they thought they were kind of in the hosting picture probably up until that AAC tournament. Uh, they lose game one, and then they win all the rest of them to end up getting to uh, the very last game where they end up losing to Tulane, a really bad Tulane team, really, that, that made the field there, maybe even stole K-State's bid in the process. Uh, but the AAC, uh, really a two-team league, East Carolina and then Tulane, who happened to just win the tournament at the end of the day. So uh, ECU does play a good strength of schedule despite the AAC being a really not so good baseball conference, but uh, they can load up in the midweek with NC state with Campbell, uh, a school that I went to for a year, a really good baseball program, uh, UNC, all sorts of good teams there in the Carolinas that they can load up and put a good strength of schedule together there. So uh, he's got their work cut out uh, for them there with, uh, with ECU and the pirates. Well, Adam, let me ask you this. Let's kind of dive into the weeds here a little bit. Obviously, Oklahoma faces a pretty tough task uh, out there in the Charlottesville region this year. But when you look at the, you know, these three teams that Oklahoma is going to potentially be facing, you know, it starts on Friday night. What if you're Skip Johnson and you're trying to set your pitching rotation to obviously give your give the Sooners the best opportunity, not to just win one game on Friday night, but give yourself an opportunity to where you have a chance to get into that final game of the weekend to try to advance to a Super Regional. What do you think the pitching rotation should look like this upcoming weekend if you're skip? ECU is going to be a really tough test. They've got six hitters going over 300. Um, mm -hmm. So they're a good ball club uh, led by their first baseman. Uh, so uh, I think they're going to have uh, some challenges for OU, but uh, like most teams, they're going to have struggles against a, a soft, softer throwing left-hander uh, like Braden yeah. Carmichael. And that's who OU's made the switch to as their, their leadoff guy in day one. So I think that's indeed who Skip's going to give the ball to on the mound there. He's been your best pitcher throughout pretty much the entire season, 7-0 on the year. Um, a guy that's that's just, you know, I think there's a lot of confidence behind him in the defense there. So uh, I think he gives you your best shot. And you really do need to win game one because OU doesn't have the pitching depth. We all know that. But if you're going to make it out of a regional there, um, you have to win game one. I don't think there's any chance that OU – uh, makes much noise here if they don't win game one. Uh, so Brayden Carmichael's got to be the guy. I think Jamie hits your second guy. Uh, he comes in with a six and one record. He's a guy that's uh, got a really nice ERA there, 4.84 uh, on the year, uh, almost a full run higher than uh, Braxton Douthat at 5.89 at this point. So um, Douthat, again, we say it almost every episode. He was a guy that was uh, the best pitcher on this team in March and just fell off a cliff. It seems like at this point is walking so many guys that it, it's difficult to um, really keep him on the mound for for too long. Um, I almost wouldn't be surprised if like maybe Skip goes to Carter Campbell in a game three potentially. Um, he's a guy that that uh, hasn't started but one game all year, which was in the Big Twelve tournament uh, in the opener there against Oklahoma State, a game that OU won. Um, so I don't know if, if Skip might do that. I think you'd really rather have Carter Campbell coming out of the pen for you on Friday night, uh, potentially to seal that win uh, with Braden Carmichael. Um, but I, I think all options are on the table, and they were this past week in the Big 12 tournament. Uh, Skip really pushed all his chips into the table, uh, throwing Braxton Douthat on uh, on game two of the Big 12 tournament, um, throwing Jamie Hit there as well on uh, game one of the tournament. So um, we saw him really retool a lot of the rotation there. But ideal scenario, go with Carmichael on Friday night, Jamie Hit on Saturday, and then Douthat and Campbell of some combination and try to win game three on Sunday and take that regional mm -hmm. right then and there. Well, Adam, let's flip it over to the offense here. Let's talk Oklahoma's lineup. Let's talk bats. We tweeted it out a little bit earlier today, talking about 
one of the guys that's really stepped up his performance over the last month of the season. John Spikerman was hitting just 227 for the for the year uh, as of April 30th, but in the month of May, Spike really turned it on and has been a you know an absolute machine hitting 437 over the last few weeks, 15 walks, nine runs, four stolen bases. So outside of Spikerman continuing the tear that he's been on, on over the last couple of weeks, is the offense up to the task? to do what it's going to take to, you know, not just win one game, but to give this starting rotation and some of these bullpen guys, give them some confidence and give them some breathing room that way that they can go out there and, and feel like they don't have to be perfect against some of these lineups that you're going to see in you in ECU in Virginia. And, you know, ultimately if Oklahoma matches up against Army. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see who ECU throws at OU uh, this upcoming Friday. There's a couple different options they could look at. Um, I think you definitely don't want to say uh, see Trey Yasavage. He's kind of their their ace guy. He hasn't been their Friday night guy, though. So mm-hmm. um, hopefully they're going to save him for potential game two against uh, Virginia. So if you're not looking at him, they could go with Carter Spivey. Um, but more than likely, they're going to go with either Garrett Saylor or Josh Groves. Uh, Josh Groves is an interesting guy. He was ejected from a game recently because he handed – uh, one of the ECU players, a sandwich as he came off the field and uh, after he hit a home run. Uh, so that's the new rule. It's a silly rule the NCAA uh, implemented after last season was that you can't take any props outside of the dugout. I don't think that was really a prop, but he handed him a sandwich as he as the player uh, came back to the dugout from home run. So he got ejected. I think it was game one of the AAC tournament. So he actually wasn't able to start the uh, next game that he was slated to start. Uh, he did come back and, and pitch their uh, Friday game in the tournament. So he could potentially be the guy. I think he's who you would really like to see. He's a guy that gives up a few more walks uh, than potentially the uh, other option there. And Garrett Saylor, he's a guy that is going to be uh, a little less forgiving, I guess, and giving up free bases. And we all know that this OU team loves to manufacture their guys on base. You know, it's not going to be the best team that's going to hit for average in the OU. It's not going to be the team that's going to hit very many long balls. We really only have one guy. Uh, that's hitting uh, double-digit home runs on the season, which is Bryce Madrin. Uh, so you would like to see Josh Groves. And hopefully ECU maybe comes in a little overconfident, especially after uh, playing six games in six days. Uh, I would like to think that they come in and say, we'll just throw you know our, our regular guy, Josh Groves, potentially, and, and save some of these other guys for other games. And, uh, and that could be a guy that gives up a few runs, maybe give OU an early lead. Um, but to your point about John Spikerman, yeah, he's a guy that's on fire right now. And, and Skip retooled his lineup going into that Big 12 tournament. I think it paid off really well because you jumped out to early leads against OSU uh, and, and Texas Tech as well. And that game really, we spent a lot of time talking about the game against Texas Tech. Oh, you should have won that. But uh, we saw some more returns to the lineup maybe that we saw in the run to Omaha or like earlier in the year that we tried to start off the year with and it just wasn't working for us. But I think you got to love it. John Spikerman, Kendall Pettis, the two speediest guys on the team potentially getting on base for your best power hitter at this point in Bryce Madrin. Uh, so I think you really like that. And then you follow that up with Dakota Harris, Anthony McKenzie, Easton Carmichael. Like that's about as solid as it gets in my opinion. So I think that's just, it's, it's paying off dividends for OU at this point. And especially with Spikerman having his resurgence here, right at the most important time of the year, um, going from that really low batting average uh, up to where he is in the month of May, hitting over mm. 470 or 437. I think it was that we, we tweeted out there. So the, the offense is moving in the right direction. You just can't go asleep at any point. And that's what happened against Texas Tech and really uh, doomed OU's Big 12 chances. Uh, maybe that'll pay off, though. Maybe there'll be a, re- a well-rested team that uh, might be able to give ECU some more trouble as they're maybe a little bit more tired legs and arms there. Mm-hmm. Okay, Adam, before we get your prediction on how Oklahoma's going to fare in the upcoming regional this weekend, I want you to I want you to paint a 
paint a positive picture here for Oklahoma fans. A little bit of Al, uh, Adam's optimism here. Let's talk X Factor for Oklahoma to have a successful weekend. And, and you know, in, in our eyes and Skip Johnson's eyes and in everybody in that locker room, a successful weekend is going to be advancing to a super regional. No, no way you no no buts about it. So the X Factor. Who does Oklahoma need to step up? Is it one guy? Is it a combination of guys? Who does Oklahoma, in order to have a successful weekend, need to step up and play their best brand of, uh, best brand of baseball? It's got to be someone out of the bullpen. And the guy that I'm looking at is Will Carson. He's a guy that started you know, several games for OU early in the year, but as uh, Jamie Hitt and Braden Carmichael and Braxton Dowell kind of took hold of that weekend rotation, uh, Carson kind of was reserved more for maybe like a closing role or middle reliever guy. And when he was on, he was on. So if OU can get the best version of Will Carson this weekend, um, that can go a long way for OU, whether it's closing out a game or just taking over for maybe uh, if, if Carmichael doesn't have a great outing on Friday or if Jamie Hitt struggles uh, on Saturday against, uh, hopefully we're playing uh, Virginia or Army in a winner's bracket game at that point. But if Will Carson uh, can come in from the bullpen and make a difference, I think you, you feel really good about Carter Campbell at this point. Carson Atwood, I think you, you feel okay about him as well. But if Will Carson is his best version, um, that can do a lot of damage for this team. That can make a, a big difference there. Um, you would like to see other guys contribute as well. Cale Davis has completely fallen off the map. I've, I, I kind of felt like he was the guy that was like, okay, he needs to come back and be a difference maker, even if it's just <laughs> in a closing role for three outs at the end of the game. Like He needs to contribute something, and he really hasn't done anything. He hasn't played since Gonzaga, uh, where he, I don't even think, finished a full inning there. So uh, I think Will Carson's probably the best chance to be that X factor, and if we get the best version of him, again, that, that makes a huge impact. Okay, Adam, wrap us up. When we come back to record next Tuesday, another episode of the Mainline Podcast, what's the storyline with OU Baseball coming off of this regional out in Charlottesville? No one expects OU to win this. And I was listening to an ECU podcast this morning just to get their perspective. And uh, I get it. You know, they probably don't watch very much OU baseball. So they go and look right at the stats, same thing that I do. Um, and there's nothing glamorous about this OU team stat wise uh, to, mm-hmm. to go, oh, yeah, this team's going to make a difference. And they're one of the last teams in the field. Um, but OU has played a lot of difficult baseball, a lot of difficult teams. So nothing's going to surprise or phase them at this point. And I think you could argue that, hey, OU's beaten a lot better teams than ECU and maybe even Virginia at this point. They swept Texas. They took two games from Stanford. So OU's battle-tested, and they've proven that, hey, they can go out and beat some of these teams. Um, I, I think Braden Carmichael gives you as good a shot as any on Friday night. Um, it's, it's just going to be tough. It's, it's a good ECU team. So no one's expecting OU to win. OU maybe doesn't even deserve to be there, if you ask anyone north of uh, the Oklahoma border. But – <laughs> I think OU can at least get one game. ECU uh, guys, they didn't think OU was going to do anything. They thought they were going to go out in two games, two in barbecue, as they say in, in baseball and softball. But I think OU will get one game. I don't know if it'll be Friday night. I don't know if it'll be Saturday in a loser's bracket, potentially against Army. Um, but I think between Hit and Carmichael, those guys are 13-1 and one on the year. I, I don't think that they're going to get two losses on, on the weekend. So one of those guys is going to get a victory, in my opinion. And, uh, and so I think OU will at least do that. I don't think that there's going to be much chance to make much more noise than that. If something goes crazy, if Army beats Virginia and OU is able to eliminate them on Saturday after beating ECU, um, I think it gives you a really good chance to win that regional. And then if actually OU gets to a super regional, I like their chances much better in a three-game series than I do in the regional format, kind of for the same reason that we talked about baseball earlier in the year. But um, there's going to be fewer games to play. Works out better for your pitching rotation for a team that's very limited depth-wise there. Um, so I actually like OU's chances potentially better in that scenario. Um, 
which is crazy to think that we might. If, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Not going to go there. We'll talk about who, next who, week who, who would be the favorite for Oklahoma to match up with in a super regional? Who's on the other side? Uh, probably Coastal Carolina. Coastal. So be, yes. Yeah. Stand in that region of the country. Yeah. <laughs> go from bad to worse. Um, dirty Myrtle uh, is where we'd have to go for that one. But uh, yeah, I, I think OU probably goes one and two. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not expecting a, a, a big weekend necessarily because we've really only seen it once this year, going down to Austin, sweeping Texas. And that's the anomaly. We know kind of who this team is. We know uh, what all their limitations are. There's several of them. Um, I wouldn't put it past you to make uh, some uh, some noise there. But yeah, at the same time, like we've seen enough track record to know who this team is. Well, that's going to do it for us on tonight's episode of the Mainline Podcast. If you've made it this far, be sure to like and subscribe. Give us a five-star review wherever you consume your podcast, whatever platform it is. We appreciate you guys joining us. And as always, find us on our YouTube page. Just search at the Mainline Podcast. And again, for Adam, this is Tyler. Uh, enjoy the uh, all the stickball this upcoming weekend. And we will see you guys here next Tuesday night for another episode of the Mainline Podcast. <laughs>